I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, Canada's national digital theatre. Each week, we take some of the hottest plays and transform them into contemporary audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome back to Play Me and Part 2 of Vitals by Rosamond Small. If you missed the first episode of Vitals, you can always catch it and all our past shows by subscribing in iTunes or by visiting playmepodcast.com. The original theatrical production of Vitals was directed by Mitchell Cushman and was produced by Outside the March. Now for part two of Vitals by Rosamond Small, performed by Catherine Collin. Warning, some language may not be suitable for all audiences. The partner I've done the most shifts with is Amir. Amir is a bit older. He wasn't EMS here when he started. He was a medic for the armed forces in Afghanistan, and he is... tough. I asked him about it once. I I didn't know if he wanted to talk about it, but we knew each other well. So I asked after all the bombs and stuff, wasn't it hard? Wasn't it hard mentally. He actually said it was the rapes he couldn't deal with more than the bombs. The bombs are more massive, more overwhelming, but there were a lot of rapes. Amir is my favorite. Amir is totally like, Amir is the best. It's a relationship. Like, it just is one. Amir, like, He was my actual partner. We were like a tag team. We only worked sometimes together, not like a regular, regular thing, but I guess that's why it turned into a bit of a... It is a romance, like a non-romance romance. Some partners are together 10 years, 15 years, and those are work life partners. Those are marriages. They've been through literal fires together. Amir and me weren't really like that. I haven't had that. Amir and me were on and off, on and off, six weeks yes, six weeks no. But that made it special when we were on. Amir knows he's my favorite. Like he teases me about it, that I like him best. I do. Amir knows how to work. He knows how to be quiet when it's time to be quiet and listen to a patient. He knows how to talk to families. He just knows things. He knows how to properly CPR. He knows how to deal with rapes. He knows about burns. He knows. Not all medics know. Sometimes it's like, how did you get here? Don't do that. What are you doing? Now I'm a level three, which is the highest level. So I work swing wherever I'm needed. And it's really hit and miss. Sometimes it's with Amir or another medic like Amir, but sometimes 
recently I finished two sessions with Harry as my partner. That's six weeks and then another six weeks. And Harry is like, he's nice. He tries really hard to be nice to me and maybe if I was a more compassionate person, I would find him charming or like a fun character. But I just can't. He just never stops, ever. He never stops talking. He never stops moving. He's always doing something that he doesn't need to be doing. We go to calls and he never, ever stops moving. He's like Tigger all the time, just bounce, bounce, bounce. And it wouldn't bother me that much, except it's just very close quarters. The ambulances are, the space is small. There's this much space and he never stops talking for 12 hours. And I need to do this really intense thing and make these really clear, important decisions in like 10 seconds of thinking time. And I have to go over every scenario. And after those moments of just doing and thinking, I just want to sit in the ambulance and take those three minutes to be a little bit quiet and calm. But he never stops. He never stops at all. He's older than me, so he thinks that he should be in charge. But he's not in charge. Harry is dangerous. He has this idea that people can walk things off, like a football coach, you know, like, walk it off, guys. A cyclist on Roncesville got hit by a car, went through two car windows, and smashed into the road. Harry's reaction was, well, she's walking. She's okay. What? No. She went through two car windows, Harry. We need to secure her spine. He let her sit up. I was so angry, even though she was okay in the end, except for these five really intense gashes across her face. She was cool about it. She actually DJed, so she just started being DJ Scratchface. On urgent calls, I tell Harry to go fast. I talk to him in an urgent tone of voice. So he goes in slow motion to make a point that I am being hysterical. And on calls that are not urgent, he goes really fast and shouts, so I look apathetic. He scares the shit out of people whose loved one is having, like, a totally standard seizure. I actually think about killing him sometimes. Like, I have homicidal fantasies. One time, me and Harry were on a call to a kindergarten class. Little girl is having an asthma attack, hiding under a table across the room. Everything's fine. It's very normal. But Harry's running across the room for no reason. So another kid gets in the way with a bunch of toys, and Harry trips on this toy basket of fruit, face plants right on the tiles, and yells, shit, and starts stumbling across the room toward our patient under the table. And now he's fallen. He has blood running out of his nose, looks like a monster, and starts yelling at the kids like, get out of the way. Go, go go. He puts his bleeding face right in front of the little girl having an asthma attack and says, don't worry, sweetheart. Everything's going to be okay. I just took over that call. Like, come on. Harry wanted to be a cop, but he couldn't make it as a cop. So he's even worse at crime scenes. Always showing off. We had this one police shooting up at Finch and it's a huge deal obviously. Loads of pressure. Like, I need this call to go perfectly. This call needs to be executed 100% correctly because it is one of those calls that you will eventually be describing to a jury. So I'm in the back, working on keeping this cop from bleeding out. Sirens going. It's critical. And I look up and realize we're going east. We're going to the wrong hospital. We've taken a wrong turn. How? 
Tigger has decided to drive us to North York General. But we have a path cleared to Sunnybrook. There are cops all lined up ahead of us, blocking intersections. We are supposed to go to the trauma hospital, Harry, because it is a trauma. And I have to scream like, what are you doing? South! Go south! And there's Tigger like, this guy's dead! Go, go, go! Bouncing, and the guy's not dead, come the fuck down. But Tigger just wants to be a hero. But meanwhile, we are totally going somewhere that makes no sense. So the news helicopter that is filming us gets a super reassuring sight of an ambulance stopping and doing a fucking U-turn with all the sirens going like we, the ambulance, got lost going to the hospital. Describing that in court obviously made us look super professional. We went to a house on the Danforth for an older guy with chest pains. He's like... 80, conscious enough to call us, but in bad shape, having a major heart attack. We get there. The guy's in the living room, and we come in. Door's open. But still, we make noise and freak the guy's dog out. It starts barking. I'm trying to put the mask on the old guy to get him some oxygen, and this basset hound is barking really loud, and it's in the way. So, yeah, Harry did have to move it. But instead of just being a normal person and, like, Picking the whole dog up it wasn't that big. Harry grabs the dog's collar and drags it across the room, which isn't safe. That is not a safe way to move a dog. That makes it easy for it to jump up and get your face. Stupid. And it's also shitty for the dog, because Harry's pulling it backwards, God knows why, so the collar is choking it. Not enough to strangle it, probably, but enough to hurt it and scare it and provoke it to bite you. Stupid. And this 80-year-old guy who is having a heart attack sees this and, honest to God, stands up from his chair and starts waving his arms around, lunging forward, basically trying to fight Harry. It was a miracle that he could stand, but he did it because he's the dog's person. I get it. He had every symptom of heart failure, but still he was ready to fight anyone hurting his dog. I mean, you can't do your job if the dog's in the way. You do have to do something. But the dog is scared of you. You have to move them sometimes, but Harriet is the type of medic who doesn't understand that for some people, protecting their dog is more important than protecting their heart. Dogs feel things, like loyalty and fear. The dog thinks you're going to hurt their person. Dogs don't understand what's going on. They don't know why you're there. They're just trying to be protective. The dog is just doing his job and trying to save the person, just like us. I also respect cats, but cats will eat you. Will eat your body. That happens all the time. Once, we got an urgent call, and it was on my street. It's a house right on Pearson, and it's a suicide. This guy cut his wrist, changed his mind, called 911. So then I'm like, oh no. I'm going to know him. It's going to be a neighbor. Shit. We get there, and I do know the house. I know the blue SUV in the driveway. I can picture the guy who lives there. He has a smallish dog that's a mix or something unusual, I'm not sure, and lives alone, and his name is like Jim, or James, or Richard, maybe. But that's all I knew before. But now, if he lives, shit, if he lives, he's gonna know, I know about him killing himself. And whenever I see him around the neighborhood, it's going to be, like, super weird. (laughs) 
We get there, and there's all this shit on the lawn. All this furniture, and books, and clothes, and a treadmill, and TVs, and a laptop, and there's a twister board, and all this Tupperware, and luggage filled with even more stuff. His house is empty. He's put it all on the lawn, and I'm like, yes, this is super weird. Even if I didn't know him, it would be super weird. We go inside, and every room is totally empty, like he's moving or something. And we find the bathroom, and yeah, it's my neighbor. It's Jim or James or whatever. He's in the tub. He's trying to die, cutting his wrists, and giving up all his possessions, ridding himself of all this stuff before he leaves the world behind. We take him to the hospital. He's fine. We send him to psych. He was fine. Then after that, because I'm still living in the same place, he's on his porch a lot drinking coffee when I leave for work. So we do this weird morning nod. Every time I see him, I have to nod, like you would nod at someone you know from the gym. Ah, yes, good morning. Uh, Not sure of your name, but we met that one time at your suicide. Suicides are about speed. You have like 30 seconds sometimes to run in, find the person, what did they do, how did they do it. It's a rush. To get to a call in the ambulance, to arrive at a scene, 8.59 is the goal. To be kind of simple about it, it's the time it's supposed to take the ambulance to get somewhere. 8 minutes and 59 seconds. And that's why I get angry when calls come in and we're the closest ones to a scene and we're 15 minutes away. It's just like... Shit happens, and nothing's perfect, and sometimes the system will mess up, but eventually you just think, there are so many people who might get hurt, who might be critical. There's just so many places and people that might need EMS, and they're just... It's not that we won't come, we will come, but we might not come in 8 minutes and 59 seconds. We might not even make 8.59 most of the time. And if you're not fast... I never felt that the extra time was the deciding factor in what happened to a person, but I have been a little... Close, once in a while. A little too close to call, a little tiny bit unsure whether it was the time that made the person not come back, that let them bleed out, that let them choke, that let the smoke get in their lungs or water or whatever. Sometimes it's those moments you think, like the disappearing man. You think, what happened? When I'm uncertain, those are the ones I think of as bad ones, not actually the ones where people die because people will die. Like EMS is nothing but... At least in school, they told us about it like this. EMS is just like a modern funeral director, basically. Funeral directors used to pick people up and bring them to the funeral home. And then they realized that sometimes the people they picked up were still alive. Like, we weren't supposed to bury that guy. Shit. So then funeral directors got trained to decide if someone was still alive or not. And then they would drive them to the morgue or the hospital. Left or right. That's still kind of how... I don't know. It's not as simple as that. We don't call it anymore. You need a doctor to call it mostly. But it is still left or right. Still, that's that's not the difference between a good call and a bad call. Some people are always going to die. Just not as many if we get there in 8 minutes 59. But there are perfect calls where we do everything. And there are shitty calls where we fuck up.
That was part two of Vitals by Rosamond Small. Visit playmepodcast.com to learn more about our shows, leave a comment, or let us know what you think of our podcast. Some of the music used in Play Me is licensed under Creative Commons license. Please visit playmepodcast.com for a list of the pieces used and for attribution. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley. The associate producer is Pippa Johnstone. This episode was edited by Chris Tolley. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Special thanks to our partners, the Playwrights Guild of Canada, Factory Theatre, Tarragon Theatre, and the Musical Stage Company. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.